that if you do stay cool, stay calm, assess the situation, and if your plan is solid, things will come right. What goes down must come up. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Today's episode is sponsored by a brand new one-day training, The Game Changer Mastermind. Years come and go and your dreams of making significant changes in your life and income with renovating can fade if you don't breathe life into them. A new year is always an opportunity to take stock and start with renewed energy and focus. A new decade is an opportunity to change the game completely. If 2020 marks the line in the sand for you to transform your working life or your retirement with renovating property, this is the event for you. Join a group of ambitious women and their partners for an entire day under the guidance of a veteran renovator and her team. You will adjust your mindset. You'll learn our top six strategies that are working right now for Reno Profit. You'll also build out a complete execution plan to get going on delivering on that story that's been going on in the back of your mind. You'll leave with the clarity that you have been craving and a comprehensive step-by-step plan and all there'll be left to do is to press go. The Game Changer Mastermind is a live event to be held in Sydney on Saturday the 18th of January 2020 and you'll find more details in our show notes. Hello, it's Bernadette, and today's episode is entitled Postmortem of 2019, What Worked and What I Would Do Differently. Now, before I get into this, I have to let you know that Stephen and I are on our way um, to Prague, and we are currently killing time at Heathrow Airport. So I have to apologise if the quality of the recording is not great, but um Unfortunately, I've done my best to find somewhere quiet enough to do it, and so we'll see how it goes. Plato said that an unexamined life is not worth living. Now, I'm not sure, I think he was being a bit dramatic, but I definitely see a lot of value in reflecting over the year that has been, particularly when we're coming to the end of a decade, and you start to, you know, look at what your results and adjust the plan accordingly. So that's what I'm going to be doing in this episode. And the other thing that I will be doing is sharing, I guess, some of the struggles that I've had this year. It hasn't been plain sailing. It's been probably one of the toughest years we've had in a while. And so I'm going to give you the insider's view of that as well. So it started off with a thud. The beginning of the year, we completed our Rennie Street project and the Sydney market had taken a complete nosedive. We'd noticed the decline happening for a while and adjusted our plan from a full structural reno to a cosmetic reno to reduce our exposure. However, that wasn't until after we'd completed the development application, so we'd already incurred a significant cost, but we just decided the way the market was going were better to cut back the plan and reduce our risk. We did go to market and quickly discovered the full extent of the situation. After three weeks, we took the decision to cancel the auction. 
going to auction when there's not enough interest uh, can damage your future sales potential. So what we didn't want to have happen was, you know, end up putting one vendor bid in and that bid going down in the records as the best price it, it, the property could achieve. So we were better to not have a record. And so, you know, after a couple more weeks, we um, took it off the market completely. So if you're going to be flipping, you're going to come up against this situation at some point in your career. It's just a fact of life. The market's fickle and it changes. And if you're continually buying, renovating and selling, this is what happens. Now, this project was one that I had done with three of our students. It was a bit like a class project. The best offer we received was 1.25 million when it was completed, which represented a significant loss. While our agent was telling us it was a strong offer, there was a bit of panic amongst the JV team. I should mention that in that JV contract, Stephen and I had written in to the contract that the profit was shared, but the loss was purely ours. And that's really as a result of our duty of care. So our team was never at any risk of ever losing money on this project. But they were impatient, as we all are, wanting to move on to the next project. When our kids were doing their HSC, I used to always say to them, if they came across a curly question, something that they weren't, couldn't, didn't know the answer to, to stay calm because the presence of mind is a powerful tool and will give them the best result. I gave this same advice to our JV team. When things don't go to plan, you need to stay calm and patient. Having been in the game for over three decades, Stephen and I had been there before. In those days, interest rates were in double digits, but the principle was the same. This time, the industry was reeling for the Bank Royal Commission and was quivering in its shoes about the election. I felt we needed to get the election results out of the way first. Thankfully, the results worked in our favour. We had record low interest rates and I knew the banks couldn't go on forever with such restrictive lending practices. One thing you can count on is the banking sector's greed and we knew they'd loosen up eventually. We just had to wait. Fortunately, we didn't have to wait too long. And just before Christmas, I noticed, well, talking to the local agents, that was definitely um, a major shift in the market and it seemed like it was going up as quickly as it fell. And so we took that property to market and had it sold in four days for almost 200000 more than the best offer we got when we first went to market. So it was sold for one point four oh seven. So what we got right with this project is we definitely got the Renault right. Given the conditions, it was absolutely the right decision to cut it back to a, a cosmetic renovation. And the quality of the renovation and the appeal made selling it easy in the right market. So um, everyone loved it and that made it easier. What would we have done differently? In hindsight is a wonderful thing. And had we taken that decision to cosmetically renovate up front, then um, we wouldn't have had all this pain. We would have had it off the book quickly before the market decided to do its nose dive. However, I really feel that the exercise actually was worth the pain because it really demonstrated you don't get that education when things are going really well. So it really demonstrated that if you do 
stay cool, stay calm, assess the situation, and if your plan is solid, things will come right. What goes down must come up. And I think that's um, universally been the case with property, with exception, I guess, to Perth. It's taken a long time for that market to come up. But I would hasten to add that any areas that were affected by the mining downturn were probably overly reliant on one industry. And that's one of the biggest risks when you are purchasing property. Okay, so the second project was the Bondi Apartment. This was an avocado smash strategy that we had done with our son, David. And it was pretty much the same scenario. The market had done the nosedive. If we had have taken it to market at that point, it probably would have lost money. And so we decided to hang on to it until the market picked up. Thankfully, once again, that happened within 12 months and we went to market uh, around or in November. And I guess the things that we got very right in this project is that um, it was the reno. So this is a two-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment on the fifth floor of an eight-floor building with spectacular views from every window in the apartment. What we did was convert it from a two-bed, one-bath to a two-bed, two-bath. So we converted the laundry into a a full-on suite and added a walk-in wardrobe so it became a master suite. And we also opened up the kitchen living area so it was more open plan. So in terms of the reno, it was on point. David is our second child and he's an architect now. This is the result of living on building sites since you were three. He made what I felt was some brave decisions. So one of the things that he did was he chose a really beautiful bathroom tile. It was a hand-pressed um, tile in sage green. I was reluctant to be too out there with it. While I loved the tile, I would have maybe used it in a feature wall. Actually, it was the same tile that we used it in Rennie Street. We loved it so much, we decided to use it again. However, David chose to tile all the walls in this tile, which I was a tiny bit concerned about, but decided to go with it, see how the market responded to it. And in actual fact, they loved it. So I suspect that the the buyers are a little bit tired of the grey and white uniform most bathrooms are wearing and found this a refreshing change. So that was a good result in as far as that was concerned. Now, one of the things that happened during the renovation of this property is that quite a few large apartment buildings in Sydney and in other capital cities were found to have serious building defects or structural faults. The Bondi apartment building was in the process of having con concrete cancer repaired. This is a common um, repair on properties of this type close to the sea in the eastern suburbs and of course required a serious levy, special levy to be raised. We were aware that this may happen prior to buying the property. I guess it was a case of if we don't have to pay it, great, but if that does happen in our 
ownership of the property, then we're prepared for it. And it did happen. So we um, paid that levy in advance so it didn't become a buyer objection. What we weren't prepared for was the huge amount of concern around the building on the part of the buyers. That became quite a serious buyer objection. People were really worried about, they didn't understand the, tr the strata report and they were really worried about what might come up in the future in terms of the maintenance of the building. How we managed that is we engaged the right agent. We engaged an agent who had the patience to work with uh, potential buyers and allay their anxieties. And that took a lot of relationship building and also of just patience, really. And so right up un until the morning of the auction, he was fielding questions from potential buyers around the maintenance of the building. So it wasn't enough just to hand them the strata report or advise that they buy a strata report. He actually had to go further because the strata re report in their eyes was inconclusive in terms of what could potentially crop up in the future. And so he had to go that extra mile. He had to um, get David to interpret the findings of the strata report to uh, allay their anxieties. And we had confidence in, in being able to deliver that information because we had made sure that all bases were covered and that we were not selling a bunch of nasty surprises to a new buyer. The other thing we did correctly to ensure a good outcome was we engaged the right auctioneer. So we engaged Damien Cooley up to this point. He is part of our winning recipe. And right up to the day of auction, we really didn't know how this auction was going to go. But I'm happy to say that everything fell into place. Uh, the property achieved a record result. So we bought it for 985000 We sold it for $1.32 It was the highest price ever achieved in that building to the tune of over 300000 And as a result, we more than delivered on our commitment for David to secure a minimum of 100000 in profit. And so that was an awesome outcome. I'm talking about the lessons we've learned. In hindsight, we have made a couple of changes to our modus operandi when we are renovating apartments. And they are around the, I guess, the size of the building that we purchase in. Up until the Opal building fiasco in Sydney, I felt quite confident about buying in a property of this size. It has eight floors. It has, I think it's 24 apartments in it. But now the new template doesn't go over three stories. So we've altered our process as a result of the outcome of that sale campaign. Not because we had a bad result, but just because we had a fantastic result, but because I don't want to be dealing with that type of bar objection again. Before I get into the third project, you will have noticed that the audio quality has improved. I'm just letting you know that we've now reached our destination in Prague and uh, conditions are much more favourable for recording. 
So let's get into this. The Winham project is, was our third project, and that was a splitter block, which for me was an experimental project. Wanted to, I guess, see what the outcome was of doing a splitter project and also doing it remotely. So this project had its share of issues, nothing that we couldn't overcome. But if you're going into this business expecting it to go uh, perfectly, it's just not going to happen. There are always um, things that crop up. And I guess the skill is in overcoming them and doing it in such a way that it doesn't entirely trash your budget and impact on the quality of the result. Thankfully, we have been able to produce another renovation that has met our market. So we divided off the land and put that on the market and that sold very quickly. The reno took slightly longer, but still only about three weeks to sell. In terms of the strategy for this renovation, we had a tiny budget. We only had 50000 to spend on this house and it's quite a substantial double brick house. The great thing about this house is its original features. It's very beautiful, has original ornate ceilings, uh, picture rails, lovely solid timber floors, just a really lovely property. It also had a couple of not so lovely things about it, a, a rather ugly sunroom addition that had been to the, done to the front of the house. But we decided to spend our money where we could get the biggest impact. Now, we didn't have the budget to make serious changes to the exterior of the house, so we decided just to tidy it up and spend our money on the kitchen and bathroom and general um, cosmetic improvements internally. Now, one of the big issues with the floor plan was that the kitchen had five doors opening into it, so it was really disjointed and had no sense of being the heart of the home. And so we did two things. One, we opened the the wall up between the kitchen and the living room, and we also extended the hallway. It seems a bit odd when you describe it, into the kitchen. So two of the doors came off the hallway in fact three because there was a hallway door a bathroom door and a bedroom door opening into the kitchen so they then opened into the hallway and we ended up with a sort of a wide galley style kitchen which was really nicely integrated into the rest of the home and so what that did was firstly it created more of an open plan between the kitchen and the living and it also zoned off the living area on one side from the sleeping areas or the bedroom areas on the other. So all the bedrooms were off that one main hallway, which just gave it, it made it flow much better. As a result, that property sold well. We did have a couple of issues with, we in fact, we had a contract on the property and it was subject to due diligence and the buyer actually terminated the contract based on the building report. Now, there was nothing really unusual uh, in the building report uh, that you wouldn't find in any building report from from an 80-year-old property. So it was double brick so and structurally sound. However, sometimes you'll get a building inspector who will, I guess, be trying to prove his worth and commenting on 
just every single thing he found, which, as I say, in an 80-year-old building, this was in the structure. So our changes to the structure were minimal and his comments were not about the changes to the structure. They were about the existing structure. And I think that the we were selling to first home buyers and I think that they just got nervous and so they terminated the contract. But within two days, we had a second contract on the building and the building report this time came back totally different. So all the issues that the first building inspector commented on did not exist in the second building report. It, of course, had different things that they were querying. One of them was the electrical upgrade. So whether we had done that adequately and in actual fact, we had gone over and above what was required. So there were changes in the wind around the requirements for smoke detectors. So we took the decision to spend the money and put a totally new smoke detector system in that would meet the new code when it came in. So even though we weren't required to do it, we did that. They also were requiring that we do a pest treatment, a white ant treatment to the property, which we did not do. Um, I, I do think that sometimes they tried on. So we pushed back on that and the um, buyer accepted regardless. But I guess the the thing that I got from that was, so there were three building in, and pest inspections done on that property. The one that we did when we purchased it, then the two that potential buyers did. And there were three totally different reports. And one of them was quite damning, damning about items that, that have been in existence for almost 80 years. So yes, you can be derailed through no fault of your own. So generally, we do have a building report done when we are selling the home. But what we do is we have an arrangement where we uh, commission the report and potential buyers can buy the report at a reduced cost. And so what that means is that if they have some cause for recourse against that building report after uh, buying the property, they are in a position to be able to challenge the company. However, if I was to supply the report and just hand it over to them and there was something that they wanted to challenge the company on, they would not have the right to do that because they didn't purchase the building report. Now, that's not something that the agent we work with in Queensland does. It's not the way they operate. They actually leave buying the building report to the actual buyer. However, in future, I probably would supply the building report or building and pest to avoid these sorts of issues. So keep in mind, we make sure that we, when we take something to market, that we are not selling uh, nasty surprises. That's a just something, you know, like an integrity thing as far as being renovators is concerned. So it's like certainly wouldn't be doing it to avoid providing or selling a property that is not, you know, structurally sound. But I'd be doing it to avoid the misinterpretation of the building inspectors and also of the potential buyers actually reading the report. Other than that, I feel that we executed the project well. The Renault definitely met the requirements of our uh, potential buyers. So I think with the benefit of hindsight, to do a project remotely, 
I would make sure that I either cleared the deck for a month or so to get the core of the work done or I would do it with someone who had the the capacity to actually be on site. It took too long because I was just too busy and and I guess that's really caused me to really reflect on my workload and how I am my focus in terms of my projects. I don't regret for one minute anything that's happened in the last 12 months. I actually think that challenging times um, create the most growth. And so from that point of view, I don't regret that at all. But I am looking at my own, I guess, workload. And is this meeting, I guess, my goals, my personal goals? So the saving of the day really was Airbnb. Airbnb allowed us to be able to hold properties that we didn't intend to hold for an extra year. Airbnb provided us with additional income in the form of the factory floor got set up and added in excess of $1,000 a week to our cash flow. So once again, that certainly assisted in the decisions that we made. For the course of the year, I've had between six and seven Airbnb listings, and I'm also, I've reviewed that as well. So in my personal review at the end of the year, I've really looked at where my focus is and what I'm putting my time into. And it's important to do that when you are working towards a specific outcome, because otherwise life passes you by. And one of the things that I know about Airbnb is if you're going to build listings, you need to be prepared to devote a lot of bandwidth to that business. And that's bandwidth that I don't have. And so Another sort of outcome of the 12 months is that I've decided to reduce my current Airbnb listings and then I, in the new year I'll be building them up again but I'm only going to take my maximum up to four other than projects that, they're, that we're holding for various re- reasons but in terms of permanent Airbnb listings, I only want to have four. If I have any more more than that, then I need to outsource the management of them. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about being able to run an Airbnb company off, off the beach, you know, off your laptop, which absolutely you can. But the thing is that that business does need to ha- have your focus. And if you're someone like me that has one, I have, you know, I already have a business to run. Plus, I am someone who tends to want to do too much and I'm really working hard on pairing that back Um, because if you allow that to, you know, that part of your personality to take over, then it really impacts on your quality of life. And I've certainly at times during this year have really struggled with that. And so I've already done my planning for 2020 and I'll be talking about that in the next episode. So what we are intending, what our plans are for 2020 for a new decade in terms of our projects is a switch of of focus. So I really want to, I guess, put in place some measures for not taking on too much. I can acknowledge that that's a personality trait, one that I'm not in love with, 
and one that I really want to seriously impact in the coming year. Okay, so let's look at the key takeaways. First one, like none of this is news, by the way, but I think it's always good to review. And the first one is that timing is everything. And so if you're at a point in your project where the timing's not working, then just be patient. And that's often a difficult pill to swallow for renovators. We're creators, we're impatient, we want to get there yesterday but just cool your heels. The second takeaway is that I guess our process works, our strategies work. It's really nice to have that confirmation. So in terms of the avocado smash strategy, in terms of the the apartment strategy, I've absolutely loved doing houses. I haven't done them for a while. And, and the splitter strategy. My next key takeaway is really around managing personal commitment. That's one thing that I I haven't done well this year. And it's mainly out of a sense of, you know, like just wanting to do so much, but I really need to manage that better. And in the next episode where we're talking about 2020, I'll share a bit about how I'm going about that. The fourth takeaway is that if I'm going to do remote projects, I at least want them to be in the same direction that I usually travel. So you would know I do a lot of trips to Victoria to spend time with my daughter and my mother, actually. And doing a remote project when I'm quite time poor and going the opposite direction, I just felt really torn. So that's definitely on the table for review. The next takeaway is in terms of apartment buildings, no renos in apartment buildings over three storeys. Of course, that will seriously impact uh, the type of project we renovate because if you go into a lower building, one, you're probably not going to get the views that we had in Bondi and two, we're probably looking at a different price point. But um, I think in the face of the climate certainly in capital cities around multi-storey buildings, regardless of their age. I think that's something that I do want to implement in our strategies moving forward. And the other takeaway I think is, and I haven't talked about this much, is getting the right agent for the right project is, for the project is critical. Now, on these three projects, we've had three different agents and Each of those agents, I think, was perfect for that particular project. So just making sure that you do that due diligence process. And I've spoken about that back in episode, can't remember the number, but we'll include it in the show notes. Basically, how to choose the right agent for your project. Okay, I guess the other thing that I haven't said is that even though the year has been challenging and some parts of it I probably wouldn't want to repeat, on the whole, I have loved the ride. And I guess I have to pinch myself to know that I am living my dream life and I can't lose sight of that because I think that is such a privilege. And so I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to my ramblings here. I've tried to keep it coherent. And I hope that I've achieved that. Now, if you haven't already left us a review, can I ask that you do that, that you leave a rating and a comment on how you found 
the podcast so that we can share the Renault love. And also, if you've not joined our free Facebook group, She Renovates, please come over and say hello and I'll look forward to seeing you there. Okay, so see you next week when we talk about what's going to be happening in 2020. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.